Live from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican pollster Rod McCullough. Philip Wegman, who is the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. And in hour number two, we'll have a debate between conservative commentator Larry Horst from Florida and liberal commentator Ellie Kay, who will join us from California. Our program tonight coming to you from our new flagship station, WYND AM 560, The Answer, in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. And the phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. And let me just say, at the beginning of the program, it's nice to be back here live. We are radio only tonight, but it's good to be back here live after a, a real bad throat. Actually, for a couple of weeks, I didn't think I was going to ever get my voice back. Last week, we had to go way back uh, to two thousand. 2012 to pull one from the evergreen file that seemed to make some sense so uh, again it's been a long time since this program has been on tape as well but again it's nice to have you with us this evening and we welcome brand new listeners tonight uh, on wrqx 600 the patriot and that's in salem oregon Salem, Oregon, and our thanks to Bill Kelly for putting us on the air back in the great uh, Buckeye State. Uh, joining us in studio this evening is Rod McCullough, who is a well-known pollster in the Chicago and Illinois area. Rod, nice to have you with us back on Beyond the Beltway. And uh, joining us from uh, his palatial home in Washington, we have Philip Wegman. He is the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics, and he keeps an eye on what's happening not only at the White House, but also what's happening in politics. And, Phil, welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'd like to spend at least a portion of our first broadcast this evening, uh, first hour, is really talking about what is what is the likely change in politics that's going to take place in 2022. Uh, 34 United States senators are up for re-election. At the moment, we have a 50-50 split with the vice president casting the deciding vote. And obviously, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats each have their list of senators who they'd like to pick off. There are 20 Republicans uh, that are running for re-election, and there are 14 Democrats running for re-election. So I, w- I want to begin uh, by asking you, Phil, to handicap it a little bit. Obviously, there are some that are slam dunks for re-election. There are other uh, toss-ups, and there's other that maybe are just, just on the cusp of being a toss-up. So uh, in, in your mind, uh, who are some of the names? Maybe they, they don't even have to be the most famous U.S. senators, but who are some of those that you think are going to be most hotly contested next year? I think first off, the two races that come to mind is obviously Pennsylvania because of the retirement of Senator Pat Toomey there. Uh, that's obviously, you know, the conventional wisdom says that that's most likely to flip given that, that Pennsylvania is sort of the adopted home of Joe Biden. Uh, he's retiring. There's, there's a number of candidates who are looking into looking to get into the race. Obviously, you know, Connor Lamb's going to give it another try. Uh, but then in Georgia, um, Senator Warnock is certainly uh, vulnerable uh, and it's interesting, you know, trying to handicap um, what's going to happen in 2022 because there are a lot of these primaries that have yet to happen. Um, there's this sort of dance that uh, is happening, you know, first at Mar-a-Lago, now at Bedminster, with how the former president is going to influence who is getting in and out of those races. Mm-hmm. So in Georgia, Warnock is very vulnerable, but, um, you know, for instance, in that race, 
that Trump seems to be freezing out the rest of the Republican field with his uh, endorsement of Herschel Walker. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but uh, I think the only thing we can say with certainty is that uh, 2022 is going to be a wild ride. Now, Herschel Walker, who's well-known within the state of Georgia, he doesn't live there, right? Doesn't he live in uh, Texas? (laughs) That's right. Uh, Herschel Walker lives in Texas. He sort of uh, wet the appetite of a lot of folks with a recent video of him uh, firing up one of his sports cars in his uh, Texas garage, and uh, it had a Georgia license plate, uh, the idea being that he might soon uh, make the trip over to Georgia and hop into that race. But this is this is interesting because no matter how you, you slice um, the coming Senate elections, Donald Trump, we know that he is in the middle of his will-he-won't-he routine ahead of 2024 uh, as to whether or not he's going to run again. But um, it's clear he is doing everything he can, not just, you know, in Georgia, but also, you know, North Carolina and other races as well, to step into the sort of kingmaker uh, role. Uh, Because, look, you you can't get away from the fact that he remains one of the most popular uh, Republicans out there right now. Does he base is loyal to him? How how loyal or how much of an activity does he have in the state of Pennsylvania? Because uh, Pennsylvania's sort of role in in his sort of signature issue, which is you know, vote fraud, uh, obviously it was very huge after the election. But I don't I don't I can't think of a long list of Republicans that necessarily pop up as someone that would replace Pat Toomey, who is a very moderate Republican. Yeah, I mean, I know Sean Parnell ran against Connor Lamb last year. Um, I think that, you know, the, the bench is a little bit light in Pennsylvania. Donald Trump carried it the first time around. He wasn't as lucky, um, you know, in 2020. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, does he help or does he hurt? Uh, and look, you, you know, Twitter is not real life. You know, social media is sort of ephemeral. But in the case of the president, I mean, certainly he seems to have lost um, his megaphone. He's not taking up as uh, many headlines. He's not taking up as much uh, attention now that he's off of social media. And I, I think that, you know, uh, there's a good portion of the base right now that might say, hey, I love that guy, but I'm most interested in making certain that Republicans um, have a majority to check Biden uh, as as he finishes up his first term. And issues like, you know, immigration, crime, uh, taxes and inflation, that's going to be the bread and butter of Republicans uh, in this cycle. Rod McCullough joins us. He is an Illinois pollster. And, and Rod, once upon a time, people were really cared about, you know, Senate and even gubernatorial races in Illinois. But uh, Illinois seems to become so much of a blue state now that Tammy Duckworth, uh, she's running for re-election again. Uh, a lot of people think it's it's inevitable that she will be reelected, uh, and she's only been there for five and a half years. Uh, how invincible do you think she really is? Because uh, a lot of people are scared to run against her. Well, I think she is uh, going to be very difficult to defeat. I think she's the odds-on favorite for reelection. I think Philip pointed out correctly the two seats that are m- most likely to flip. If, if they are going to flip. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a difficult road to hoe for the Republicans to retake the Senate. I just do because of how the map lays out. I think they will take the House from redistricting alone. I think they'll pick up enough seats to mm-hmm. retake the House. But the Senate is more difficult. 
if you're if you're looking at Democratic seats that will flip, I think Georgia is one that could. It's a little bit similar to Alabama, where Doug Jones won, and then he was sort of seen as dead man walking. I don't know if Warnock's the same. My own advice, if they would listen to me, and they won't, I wouldn't run Herschel Walker. I don't think he's a winning candidate. Well, he may win, but I don't think he's the best candidate. Who's the best candidate? I don't know. But if you look at, I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But if you look at, for instance, the autobiography that Herschel Walker wrote, mm-hmm. uh, he delves into some of his mental health issues and some of the things he did to his ex-wife, they will be a big issue in Georgia. Sounds to me like you've entered, you, you've thrown those out as possible discussions between now and Election Day. Thanks very much for every, for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8029. We're talking senatorial politics this evening. Give us a buzz. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. 
Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. 1-800-723-8289. Phil Wegman, you mentioned in the first segment, you mentioned North Carolina Richard Burr is retiring from the U.S. Senate. Uh, What can you tell us about uh, what's likely to happen in the Tar Heel State? Well, um, if we were talking about Donald Trump um, sort of freezing folks out before, and I think that North Carolina is a really good example of that. Um, You have Donald Trump who sort of came uh, into the North Carolina Senate race and, uh, you know, Senator uh, Richard Burr is uh, retiring and you sort of have a a primary race developing there between, you know, former Governor Pat McCrory and then former Representative Mark Walker and some others. Uh, But then Donald Trump steps in and he gives a surprise endorsement of Representative Ted Budd, um, who is a, you know, pretty conservative guy, clearly an ally of the former president. And that caught the party by surprise there in North Carolina. In fact, um, you know, Mark Walker uh, laid that decision uh, at the feet of Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And what's interesting about this development, though, is that, yes, Trump jumps in, signals to Republicans in the Tar Heel state that his guy uh, is Bud, but it doesn't clear the field. So that's going to be um, a good trial balloon for the influence of the, uh, you know, of the former president. Uh, But look, you know, Democrats see uh, a bit of, um, you know, a bit of that uh, chaos on the right. And, um, you know, they're, they're certainly going to do the best that they can to capitalize on it. Last I heard, uh, I think they were thinking of running, you know, a former uh, Supreme State Supreme Court uh, Justice um, Sherry Beasley, and uh, you know they they would love to see a Republican self cannibalize up until Election Day. Mm-hmm. Rod, right? Um, it is it is interesting that that did not clear the field, but uh, what what probably works to the Trump candidate's advantage in all these states is if the field doesn't get cleared. You have four or five candidates running against the Trump candidate, and that probably puts the Trump candidate over the top when you don't have runoffs after when it's a a plurality wins all. That's a really good point. One of the surprise Republicans' uh, victory, uh, you know, six years ago or five and a half years ago, was Ron Johnson uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, I understand that the Democrats have the biggest uh, target on his back as of anybody. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, who's likely to challenge uh, him? And uh, does Ron Johnson have any uh, primary opposition? Opposition. Phil. Uh, well, look, I mean, um, with, with Johnson, like this is a position he's been in before. Um, it's a little bit different now because he's the only Republican who is running in a state that, that Biden won this cycle. But in 2016, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, they basically left him for dead up there in Wisconsin. Right. And what's that do to a guy like Ron Johnson? Well, he had to claw and fight his way to a victory. And that changes your psychology. If you got there to the U.S. Senate on your own, you're not going to listen to anybody else. And I think that that's what we've seen um, from Senator Johnson these last uh, six years. You know, clearly Democrats, they, they want Wisconsin back. They think that, you know, what happened in 2016 
was a fluke. They want to yeah, because he was running. He was he was running against uh, Sen- a former Senator Feingold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, so, and so, again, um, they didn't, as you say, he was sort of deader than a doornail until the people of Wisconsin voted. Yeah, certainly. And so um, I, I think the difference now is that you know maybe Johnson uh, felt too liberated these last six years. I mean, he certainly has been one to speak his mind, um, and I think that. You know, some of the things that he has said about uh, the coronavirus or about, um, you know, the the efficacy of the 2020 election, that might come back to bite him. But uh, again, Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, that's going to be a really interesting race to watch. Also, uh, let's take a look at at a couple of moderate, uh, and that's uh, Portman in Ohio and Blunt in Missouri. They they both have chosen not to run for re-election. Is it because they they felt uncomfortable with Donald Trump, or did they feel that uh, their constituents back home was was out of step with them? Uh, I I think that, you know, Rob Portman, uh, he's been in the Senate, you know, for for some time. Um, I think that I think that he was elected back in, I want to say, 2010. He was a a Tea Party guy. Um, I think that with Portman, uh, just sort of the the lack of progress and the lack of movement and then the uh, increasingly acerbic, um, you know, environment of of the the, the state got to him. Um, But, you know, that's interesting because, you know, Portman's sort of a, a bipartisan guy. Uh, on occasion, and now what's happening in Ohio, uh, you see, um, you know, uh, former hillbilly elegy author J.D. Vance, you know, he's entered the race. He's running against, um, you know, another fellow there, and uh, they're they're going to have, you know, on the right, they're going to have this uh, a decently epic uh, primary battle. Meanwhile, you know, um, well, I he's burned. He's burned all the. He's he's burned all the bad things that Vance said about Donald Trump. He's trying to get the Trumpsters to, to, to not, not do too much of a Google search on his background. Right. <laughs> but the Internet is forever. So we'll oh, see. yes. You know, we'll see. Trump. By the way, I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we welcome new listeners this evening uh, at, in Salem, uh, Ohio. So if you want to weigh in on our assessment of uh, uh, Rod Portman and who is likely to replace him, uh, we're always interested in your thoughts on that, as well as uh, in the state of Missouri, where uh, where Blunt uh, they they have one of the most controversial uh, primary races going on in uh, Missouri. Yeah, I mean uh, Missouri is going to be especially interesting. I mean Greitens seems to to want to get back into the race despite the former governor, um, right? his, yeah, former governor, uh, despite his uh, his lack of uh, you know you know, lack of virtue, really. I mean, sort of the, the, sex scandal. the uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the things that, that he did um, were, were, you know, pretty uh, beyond the pale. It's interesting that if he was to be elected, uh, he would serve with uh, Senator Josh Hawley, who was formerly the uh, attorney general who, who prosecuted him for some of those things. Wow. Um, I think that, you know, the Republican Party, uh, they, they certainly don't want, um, I don't think that they want uh, Greitens, and I wouldn't be surprised um, if they sort of say, "Look, we, we we don't want another Todd Aiken situation. We're going to move away from that." And um, you know, maybe maybe the Trump base lines up behind uh, their Attorney General there, Eric Schmidt, someone who has shown uh, that he can already win a, a statewide race. Um, but uh, you know, that, that's another one that we'll have to see because it's easier to talk about issues, I think, that are going to sway Republicans mm-hmm. um, than it is you know these individual candidates because they are still trying to figure out. What is the lesson of 2020 and what parts of populist conservatism can I cling to 
uh, without perhaps uh, you know mimicking the personality of Donald Trump. And um, it's it's a it's a hard uh, problem to sort out. Rod, you're you're a pollster, and again, uh, you're working with a couple of potential candidates for governor of Illinois. You haven't made a deal with anybody yet, but um, what are the issues that are out there, at least in Illinois? Again, it may not be a you know your your bellwether state anymore, but again, uh, some of these issues, certainly within Wisconsin and Michigan and the surrounding uh, areas to Illinois, uh, some of those issues I've got to I would say probably are are pretty identical. Well, one thing I think we'll find in not just Illinois, but other states, sometimes some folks, especially in the Washington media, get too wrapped up in red states, blue states, and they forget that the quality of the candidates matter. Mm -hmm. What kind of campaign they run matters. What kind of, how much money they raise, what's their message. In Illinois, I believe uh, that uh, the governor's election, and to a larger extent, the entire statewide election will be a referendum on J.B. Pritzker. And so you, you saw a little bit of a preview of that in the last uh, general election with the so-called fair tax. And I think the governor really thought he was going to get 60 percent to make that happen, to be able to tax the wealthy. He thought everybody was on board for it, and it went down to a blistering defeat. Now, for those around the country, J.B. Pritzker is one of the wealthiest governors ever in the United States, uh, and yet he surprised some people. I want to know whether he surprised you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he hinted that he might not run again. I think he just wants to announce on his own terms. He already put $35 million into his campaign account. Uh, I don't, that was from his piggy bank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a drop in the bucket. And that's what, quite frankly, that's what makes him a difficult opponent because it's a limitless uh, amount he can put in. So if somebody wants to run um, for governor against him, uh, they have to be willing to take a hundred, literally a hundred million dollars of negative ads about mm-hmm. them and maybe their family right on top of their head. And that's a difficult uh, burden to, for a candidate to even decide they want to run. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it is a blue state, although it, it, we've shown that Republicans can win. The last two midterm elections with the Democrat in office in the White House, when Barack Obama was in, 2014, Republican mm-hmm. Bruce Go- uh, Rauner won for governor. 2010, Mark Kirk won for U.S. Senate. So you can win in Illinois based on timing, a good candidate, a message, and resources, just like can every other state. Can a Trump Republican win in Illinois as it has traditionally been, which is a more moderate state than the rest. Well, at some point, you have to move beyond that in a general election. You take uh, one of the candidates who's already announced, and that's uh, 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 Darren Bailey. Um, I, I don't know how this guy, um, you know, moves on from, I mean, he's sort of uh, at the, I don't want to say extreme, but he's uh far right wing. And I think he would admit that. He probably wears it as a badge of honor. Um, that's not going to from downstate. From way downstate. So he's not known in Illinois and Chicago. Right. And uh, but So in order to win in November of 2022, uh, I believe that some, whoever the candidate is, and I don't know that he'll be the Republican candidate, they have to move on and attract voters beyond that base. 
When we come back, I want to go back to Georgia for a while because not only is there a race for the Senate, but there, uh, the days of uh, for, for Governor Kemp may be numbered. And again, there was a big brouhaha between he and President uh, Trump, and we'll find out uh, whether that rift has been uh, dealt with or not. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. So 1-800-723-8029. A reminder, this is radio only this evening, so hopefully you have found us 
uh, on our radio stations that carry this broadcast, or if it's on a delay, you can find it on virtually any of the stations that are listed on our website, beyondthebeltway.com, and uh, you can always uh, find us there. Before we go too much further, I want to take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves a little more extensively, and I'm going to begin with my in-studio guest this evening, uh, Rod McCullough. Rod, give us a little bit about your political pedigree. Uh, I'm the owner of Victory Research. We've been in the polling business for about 35 years, mostly in Illinois, although we have branched out to some other states. I, I, I haven't tried that hard to branch out in other states. There's plenty of work in Illinois to keep everybody busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, in the last election, 2020, we were the most accurate pollster in Illinois. We had uh, the Trump-Biden uh, race down to the percent uh, in the governor's race when Pritzker ran. We I, we were within one-tenth of one percent having it exactly right mm-hmm. so we have now, a tr- in, in reading about your background you said you're not a you're, you don't hate you're not a trump hater right and you're not a trump lover right well how's that, <laughs> how's that gonna make any friends well i i, I well i don't I, i'm not a cheerleader for any candidate I, look i treat trump the same way i treat biden obama bush clinton whoever i like some of the things they do i don't like some of the things they do i think that's how rational human beings adults act and so I don't I don't pretend to be a cheerleader for and I, and I as I've said on your show before I, I do some work for Democrats I, I at this point in my life I work for who I want to work for and uh, I don't have government contracts in Chicago they can't threaten me uh, if I work for somebody they don't like mm-hmm. I, I work for who I want to work for mm-hmm. Phil Wugman tell everybody a little bit about your background uh, above and beyond uh, real clear politics uh, yeah, so I've been at Real Clear Politics for about uh, two and a half years now. I cover the White House, which is why a lot of my answers probably have to do with uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, two guys who I've kept a pretty close close eye on. But um, at Real Clear Politics, we're in the business of, of uh, talking to smart people like uh, like Rod McCullough there and uh, getting a sense of, of what the, the polls can tell us about the different horse races around the country. But um yeah, uh, it, it's great to be, uh, you know, chatting with you guys there in Illinois. Um, it's almost like home. I'm from the uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana area uh-huh. before I uh, made the foolish mistake of leaving for, for D.C. <laughs> we should also mention for longtime listeners to this program, uh, we're now in our 41st year, uh, probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, we used to have uh, your founder, uh, Tom Bevan, as a regular guest on this program. And I, I said uh, then, and I mean it now, it, it really is one of the best sources uh, for politics in the United States. If, if you are a real political animal, uh, real clear politics, in my view, should be the first place you go in the morning. You can go to other places as well. But when you read their their stuff, you don't quite know what their political axe is to grind, if they have one. Uh, they give you the information straight, lots of polls. And I would say that uh, from 15 years ago, when most people may not have heard of real clear politics, I mean, you can, you can watch all the major networks, and they will always, more frequently, they will refer to an RCP, a poll, and certainly around election time, it's, it's hard not to get through any newscast without quoting RCP. So, again, it's a great, neutral, objective source uh, to politics. And, again, they, they, they're dealing with a lot of the same subjects that the other uh, uh, newsletters and, and periodicals in, involved with. But uh, they do it, I think, in a very uh, special way. So, Phil, it's nice to have you uh, on the program this evening. Um, I'd, I'd like to go back to the state of Georgia. Uh, we quickly went over the, the Senate challenge of uh, Herschel. Walker, 
whether or not he would be a strong challenger to a Warnock or not. But tell us what's happening in the in the gubernatorial race there, and also in the race for Secretary of State. I mean, there's a lot of internal uh, uh, combustibility in the Georgia Republican Party. Yeah, certainly. I I, uh, I think what's interesting here is you know you have Governor Kemp who has brought in I think about uh, twelve million dollars this cycle thus far. That's a that's a big pile of cash mm-hmm. uh, for an incumbent governor uh, getting started right now. Uh, but he's certainly got an axe over his head. Donald Trump was joking not too long ago that his life would have been easier if Stacey Abrams had won. I think what we're going to see is a repeat of the last race. It's sort of uh, conventional wisdom at this point that Stacey Abrams is a shoe in. And, um, you know, what's interesting here is this is a race where both Stacey Abrams and Governor Brian Kemp, they both have national platforms. Um, they they are, are both incredibly well-known, obviously, because of some of the, uh, the advocacy that the Abrams has done. And then because of just the fact that, um, you know, Kemp had a – he had and continues to have a, a giant bullseye on his back. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the uh, Georgia race is, is another one uh, that, that a lot of people are going to be looking at as, as sort of not just um, – you know, a, a bellwether, but but something that's going to you know determine whether or not Republicans can uh, sort of move past the uh, the former guy. And there's and their Secretary of State. I mean, he's viewed by many Republicans as a traitor. Yet he's trying to keep his job as well. Correct? Yeah. And what's interesting here is that uh, they're not shying away from this. Like this is not the conversation that Republicans want to have. But the guys who stood firm and said, "Look, this is what our Excel." spreadsheet tells us this is what we've seen um you know from our different polling stations uh those guys i think there's probably a, a you know it's not a conversation they want to have but they're certainly resolved um in their views and uh they're they're willing that to, to have it um it's going to be interesting to see if we are still talking about 2020 um you know at the end of this year if that's still something that's motivating uh, you know, the base earlier in the program, I think Rod made a really good point, which is that national media, you know, likes to relitigate the last fight yes, again yes. and again and again. But uh, what Georgia Republicans, they know Kemp and they might just say, hey, this guy got handed a raw deal, but we like him and we're going to separate the past from the present. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to give him a, a second shot. But, but are, there, are there a significant number of Republicans, whether they're just straight party line voters or uh, they may be media sources, where, where, they, where they will be keep hammering Donald Trump and fingering him as the guy that caused two Democrat U.S. senators to beat two Republicans uh, last time in Georgia? Yeah, there's no getting away. He's the one that flipped the whole U.S. uh, Senate, is Donald Trump. Absolutely. And there's no way of getting away from this. I remember uh, Thanksgiving of last year, uh, Donald Trump had a message to the troops. Uh, It was in the diplomatic room. And afterwards, they brought in the the press and we sort of peppered him with questions. Um, My immediate question to him was how can you expect Republicans to go to the polls with confidence and vote for Kelly Ayotte? and david perdue when you were telling those same voters that the general election uh was suspect and donald trump didn't bat an eye he just said yeah i told david and kelly that they should probably be on the lookout for that 
That's really problematic um, when you have a large portion of your base who thinks that the entire system is rigged. I, I, I don't know, um, you know if, if people are going to, to get over that. Um, I think that a lot of these states are moving with their uh, own election integrity laws. I mean, certainly Georgia try and shore up, um, you know, any, any doubts. Uh, but, but, you know, that certainly undercut uh, Republicans, you know, cut their hamstring. And uh, I wonder if in 2022, you know, Republicans will, you know, get beyond that and their, uh, their sort of animus for, de- uh, for Democrats will, you know, um, you know, obscure any, any lingering doubt. We're going to go to a call right now. John from McHenry, Illinois, listening to us uh, tonight. Go ahead. You're on the air, John. Yeah, thank you. I uh, just wanted to talk about uh, next year's Senate races and the state of Alaska. Okay. I wanted to know uh, what you all think of Murkowski. She's facing a challenge from uh, another lady whom the President Trump has endorsed. And it's also a new voting system. You have the top four primary, uh, blanket primary, the top four advanced in November. And then in November, you have ranked choice voting for the first time in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So uh, with some recent polling, people think that she's more Democratic. So what do you, are her chances of staying in the Senate for a, I guess it's the fourth term? And I'll just uh, sure. listen to what you guys have to say. All right, let's let uh, Phil uh, tackle that because... Uh, uh, there, there's there's many a people who uh, uh, who went to the poorhouse because they bet against Lisa Murkowski, but again uh, she seemed to have had nine lives. Uh, she is you know she's despised by President Trump, uh, and yet she keeps uh, winning. Last time uh, uh, she won as a write-in, as I recall. Phil, uh, does she have uh, does she still have legs? Yeah, I'd like if, if you can uh, convince you know if, if you can convince the electorate in Alaska to learn how to spell Murkowski and, and help you win um, in, in, in the, the state. I mean, I think that's the best kind of, um, you know, name ID that you can get. Uh, look, so I, I think that it's interesting, um, you know, Murkowski has a challenger in uh, Kelly uh, Chewbacca, who's, who's known in, in the state. Um, if, it, if, if, if Alaska is going to do this type of ranked choice uh, voting, uh, certainly, I would hope that, um, you know, their election officials would uh, maybe take a lesson from New York and, um, you know, make certain that they don't have, uh, you know, that, that same type of, of problem. Uh, in Alaska, though, for, for the governor's race, uh, excuse me, for the Senate race, the person I'm watching is Mike Dunleavy. And, and I think the governor there, governor. Uh, he's, he's well-liked because of his handling of COVID. Um, he was always sort of friendly with Donald Trump when uh, Air Force One would touch down in Alaska after some of these trips to refuel. Uh, but but he's not, um, you know, he's not, you know, just a, a Trump acolyte. I, I think that mm-hmm. if Dunleavy decides to get in the race, that could be, you know, very significant. Okay. And he's also uh, smart. He's putting his face uh, in all the commercials about the state of Alaska as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Rod McCullough is in studio with me. Philip Wickman from Real Clear Politics joins us from Washington. Back shortly. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. 
Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly. But we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. back and uh, we have not talked uh, much about Democrat senators who uh, might likely lose uh, their uh, re-election. Maggie Hassan, who is the, uh, uh, she's, this is her t- second term uh, from uh, New Hampshire, former governor there. Um, how much in, in trouble might she be, uh, Phil? Uh, look, I think that Maggie Hassan doesn't have a top-tier challenger right now, but there are people who are waiting in the wings. Um, I was chatting with Governor Chris Nunu um, last month, I think, and I, I asked him the question, which everyone is asking him, whether or not he's going to uh, jump into the race. And his response is that, you know, only time will tell. He's not in a hurry uh, to get in. Uh, but if, if Sununu doesn't run, uh, then I could see Kelly Ayotte uh, getting into the mm-hmm. race herself. I mean, back, I think that um, she lost the Hassan by about uh, a thousand votes. Yeah, I mean, anybody that loses by, by less than a thousand votes, I would think that they would that their uh, their Rolodex will be up to will be up to date. 
Um, again, of all the other names that are down here, we you know there are 34 that are running, 20 Republicans and 14 Democrats. Uh, we've touched on about five or six of them. One other one that I want to just got to get a sense because it was a takeaway, and that was Mark Kelly in Arizona. Uh, he won two years ago in a special election. He's now running again. Uh, he is the former astronaut. Um, has he solidified his position in the two years that he's been there? And is there any strong Republican opposition? Republicans certainly think that he's vulnerable and they're going to throw everything that they can at him. Um, what's interesting is that you see some of these Democratic groups, excuse me, some of these Republican uh, groups from the outside uh, comparing Mark Kelly. Uh, to Democrat uh, Kristen Cinema, and that their point here is that uh, you know Kelly is, is not moderate. Um, that you know Cinema, you know, is the one who is uh, moderate, who's standing up and being more of a maverick. Uh, Kelly is going to have a, a tough road to hoe, and I think that one of the reasons is um, obviously Republicans are going to do everything they can to make this. Uh, election about you know taxes and inflation, but in in Arizona specifically, there's a uh, immediate example, which is what is happening on the border. And whichever Republican jumps in, it's it's not going to be Ducey at this point. Uh, but whichever Republican jumps in is going to hammer him incessantly on that and say, "Where were you? Why haven't you done enough to uh, to push the administration?" And thus far, we've seen you know we've even seen Kelly sort of push the White House to do more on the border. Um, but but that's that's going to be a tough one, and, and Republicans uh, certainly see it as a pickup opportunity. One other name from the past, uh, it, it won't change the, the makeup of the Senate because it's, it would be a Republican replacing a Republican, but uh, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, does he have any uh, viability in coming back uh, to take the seat of Richard Shelby, who has announced that he will not seek re-election? No, Jeff Sessions... Um, Man, uh, he did everything that Donald Trump wanted him to do and more, except he refused himself. <laughs> um, right. I'm not certain if, if he still has uh, gas in the tank. I, I think that you know after his last comeback attempt, um, he might be more interested in retirement. Uh, but, if, but if he does run, I mean, uh, you know, the people of his state love him, and uh, he, he certainly will be formidable. One other name that you don't hear too much about, and that is the uh, the freshman senator seeking re-election, Todd Young, in the state of Indiana. What what does the national audience need to know about Senator Young? Uh, Todd Young is an ambitious guy. He was uh, you know, the chairman of the NRSC, which is a, a good opportunity for um, you know, especially a, a young senator to make um, you know national networking. Uh, moves to get to know a lot of donors who shape the direction of the party. Um, Todd Young, I, th I think he's a smart guy. Um, he, he had a tough primary race there, um, you know, a couple of years back. But uh, I think, you know, Indiana seems to, to like the guy. Uh, but look, um, let's not forget that Indiana on occasion can be purple. Mm -hmm. uh, it can swing, you know, forward and backward. Uh, but, but I don't think Todd Young is any, is in any trouble right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly a younger guy that the party likes. My last question is about my favorite senator, and that is John Neely Kennedy of Louisiana. He, he is a walking soundbite for people <laughs> in the news business. Uh, he's about as homespun as you can be. Does he have any chance of losing an election? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that John Kennedy has any chance of losing. But one thing I will say is that that guy 
you here you have a Harvard law educated lawyer. He's uh, smart as a tack, uh, but he's also pretty politically savvy. Yes. And that uh, you don't hear Kennedy running around talking about esoteric legal terms no. uh, like some other senators would. Instead, he uh, he definitely dialed up the uh, the homespun. He's a man. Uh, he's a man of the people. You wanted to make one one more point, Rod, about what you would be looking at in yeah, this election cycle. Yeah, um, if you're looking uh, for Senate seats to flip or interesting ones, I always look for the states that have one Republican and one Democratic senator. Ohio is one of those, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. I think there's a couple of more. But the Ohio one in particular, Ohio is a state that really does go back and forth. Uh, depending on the year, depending on the candidates. And again, uh, it, this is going to be a good year to stress that the quality of the candidates matter. I remember when George W. Bush uh, ran for re-election, Ohio, every single statewide office and both senators went Republican. A couple of years later, it was exactly the opposite. Uh, four years later, it was exactly the opposite. So Ohio can, even though it's Trump won by more this time than he won last time, I think that's 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 the seat that uh, could Rob Portman's seat, I think, could be the one who decides which party controls the Senate. He's not in the race, but is, is John Kasich, the former governor, longtime governor, longtime member of Congress, presidential candidate, is he yesterday's news, uh, Phil? <laughs> A lot of people would like him to be. I think that after he took that speaking slot at the Democratic National Convention, yeah. and really that, that kind of bizarre um, you know, uh, two or three minute spot that he did where you had the drone up ahead and he was standing at a crossroads as if, you know, this election wasn't obviously already a crossroads question. Um, I, I think that uh, John Kasich, beloved son of a mailman, is likely done in politics. Okay. Right. Phil Wegman, thank you very much. White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. Place, the first place to go in the morning if you want to know what's happening in national politics. Rod McCullough, you will continue with me for hour number two when we'll talk to Larry Horst and Ellie Kay, a Republican and a Democrat. They see uh, everything uh, from a different perspective. Back shortly. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. 
when I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. We are coming to you from AM 560. WYND Radio in Elk Grove Village, just a few miles outside of beautiful Chicago, Illinois, and it's nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, in this hour, we're going to go in a variety of different directions with topics, Uh, and we know Rod McCullough, a pollster from Illinois, continues with me as a guest on the first hour, Uh, but joining us uh, via phone from their palatial homes in Florida and uh, California, Palm Springs, California, we welcome Larry Horace, who is a card-carrying conservative Republican and uh, liberal Democrat card-carrying as well, and that is L.A.K. She joins us from Palm Springs. California. Lady and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us tonight. I want to begin with a subject that I know is going to probably, uh, you will each go to your sides immediately, and I want to talk about voting rights. Um, It has emerged as one of the major issues for the Democrats, and in a thousand words or less, Ellie, why is this issue so important to you and the Democrats? And then we'll hear from Larry Horst. Are you there, Larry? I'm here, yeah. Are you there, Ellie? Is Ellie there? We have lost Ellie, so we're going to go back and we're going to try to reach Ellie because she is our, we don't want to discriminate against the liberal. Uh, Larry, let me go to you because uh, uh, voting rights is uh, uh, key to a lot of people, but, but are the Democrats winning this battle as to, from a political standpoint, in the in the bigger, broader world of politics? I don't think so, and I don't think it's going to be the major issue in the campaign anyway. I think this is one of these gets a lot of news interest, but not a lot of voter interest. And, you know, yeah, you know, I go back to, you know, voting used to be one day for 12 hours, and that was it. We have expanded voting tremendously. And I think anyone who can't vote in America today under any of these rules, any of these rules, just doesn't want to vote. I mean, we've got early voting, we got provisional voting, we got uh, mail-in voting, uh, and we got you know uh, 
go to a polling place for on election day voting. So I can't imagine how anyone with an average intelligence who wants to vote can't get to vote. So this voter suppression to me is utter 100% nonsense. It's, it's a fictional issue. Rod McCullough, as we wait to get Ellie back on the line, uh, what's your take on, on this as, a, as, a, as, a, as an important issue that uh, divides uh, parties? Well, I agree with Larry 100%. You know, I've, I've been involved in politics for almost 40 years. I have always tried to get more and more people to vote. But I've learned over the years, and I learned early on, that if somebody really doesn't want to vote, there's not one thing you can tell them to convince them that their vote counts. It doesn't matter how many days of early voting you have. It doesn't matter how many mail-in ballots you send them. If they don't want to vote, they ain't voting. And you know, take, for instance, uh, uh, the Chicago mayor's race. Literally $50 million was spent by all the different candidates. 29% voted. And, that, and that's just the way it is sometimes. Why is it that uh, Ellie, uh, do we have Ellie yet? You do now. Hi. Go ahead. I'm sorry that uh, we upstaged you. By it was it was our mistake. Uh-huh. So I go to you, uh, having the Republicans having shared their uh, concern or lack of same for uh, the voting rights discussions that are going on. Why is uh, why is voting rights so important to you as a Democrat? Well, it should be important to everyone, whether you're a Democrat or a Repo- Republican or and or anything else. I mean, we're talking about a situation where, unfortunately, there are some changes being made that in some cases are going to disenfranchise um, people who vote. Um, and unfortunately, the majority of them are uh, of the African-American and the brown communities. And that's what's frightening about this. What will, what will disenfranchise but, them, in your view? What, what are the biggest issues that will disenfranchise them? Well, it's it's the fact that for many people, for many uh, African-Americans, as an example, they go to church on Sundays and then they go and they vote. And now there are some states that are saying, no, we're not going to allow that anymore. There are some states that are saying you can't you can no longer. It's going to be more difficult to get a uh, a mail in ballot. Uh, There are some of the some of the things that are going on are quite frightening in my opinion, frightening. And it's not, to me, again, this is not a Democrat issue or a Republican issue or a decline to state or libertarian or anyone else. This has to do with voting rights. The fact that the, that the Senate will not even allow a discussion on the floor of the, of, of the Voting Rights Act just, just is appalling to me. It's well, very, very frightening. Some Democrats, and not all, some Democrats do not like the idea of a voter ID. Uh, do you like voter ID, and and if not, why not? Well, first of all, in the state of California, a voter ID is not necessary because you're you're when you register to vote, your when you when that is sent in, and I know this because we do a lot of voter registration in our area and in our state. Uh, those those docu- the, it's it's checked out at the same time. It's done automatically. So I don't. Again, this is to me. Um, you know, for someone who has been voting all of their lives, now all of a sudden you want a voter ID if they move. I mean, come on, folks. Let's let's be. Larry Horst, go ahead. I mean, this is, this is such nonsense. We have expanded voting rights for people. Minorities have come out in record numbers. That's not a sign of suppression at all. Um, no, we've, right. As I said, early voting, uh, IDs, I have given an ID ever since I was voting for some 40, 50 years ago. 
um, a lot of Democrats have come around realizing that an idea is pretty fundamental and pretty simple. Um, the idea of uh, that they oppose, you know, broadly sending out uh, ballots to everybody, uh, you know, that's just an invitation of having chaos and fraud. And the other you thing I think we so have to remember is it is a lie. It is a lie. It was a lie to say there's no vote fraud. Let's That's go, a lie. Oh, come on. Let's go back to Ellie. Ellie. Every, my gosh, they, they, they recounted the ballot, what, two, three times in Georgia. Nothing was found, and yet the, the former occupant of the White House demanded 11,000 votes be found. Come on, you're right. You're, you're, you're off on, you're off on a different not, issue. You're not on the issue of existing. Sir, I'm not saying I it would overturn the election. One at a time. One at a time. One at a time. Folks, folks, folks. One at a time. One at a time. I'm sorry, folks, I forgot. I forgot what happens. I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Let me know when I can speak. I will. Okay. Larry, to you, and then we'll go back to Ellie. No, I, I was just saying that every election has vote fraud. I have investigated it. I've been in courts on it. I handled it when I headed the city club. We had legal elections at all precincts investigating it. I had a precinct captain, a black precinct captain friend of mine, who admitted that he steals votes every election. I mean, it's not even a secret. What? Uh, nobody gets arrested, arrested for vote fraud. No, well, that's another issue because vote fraud is no, almost impossible, almost impossible to convict anybody because of a secret ballot. For example, I can show you vote fraud and you couldn't convict anybody. I'll show you areas where there were more requests for ballots than there were people voting. I mean, I mean there were more voting than there were requests for ballots. That's uh -huh. vote fraud. There's no way to know who did it. There's nobody you can You just go. said, excuse me, sir, Boy, you just Ellie. said you knew a black, an African-American who committed vote fraud. Anybody. He should have been arrested. Yeah. Why wasn't he arrested? Well, was he arrested? I mean, of course not. Was he arrested? <laughs> of course not. Mean, of course nobody not. Gets nobody gets arrested for vote fraud. We have to pause. Folks, we have to pause. We're going to a break. When we come back, we're going to move on to our next Thanks. subject. Yes, One caller at a time. <laughs> One really speaker funny, at a time. It, sir? Back shortly. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Mr. Mon, we continue on Beyond the Beltway. L.A.K. joins us from Palm Springs, California. And Larry Horace joins us from Florida. Uh, question to each of you, and I also want to get Rod McCullough's opinion as well. Uh, you've each been around the block quite a few times. Is racism as a problem in this country, is it better today or worse? Larry Horst, I'm going to start with you. Well, first of all, I've written a lot on this subject. Matter of fact, I'm just finishing a book on the subject. Uh, racism isn't part of the American character, not in the people. We get along fine. Billions of times, billions of times, every day, Black people, white people, Hispanics, Asians, whoever, we get along fine. We work together. We play together. We love each other. We marry each other. Billions of times every day. That's the people. Now, we do have the residual of institutional racism, and it's easy to spot because all you have to do is look where the riots take place. Where do the black community, the segregated black communities, rise up against institutional? It's in the Democratic-run cities. That's absolutely factual. That's on the basis of it. So when you look at uh, what's happening in the cities, you see segregated neighborhoods where you have inferior education by the same school system that educated me well in a white school and gave me a, a boost into college. The same school system can't educate black people because they don't want to. They have the high unemployment. They have the stop, stop, happy stop, housing. Stop for, stop they have for a the poor infrastructure. Larry, Larry, stop for a second. I want to go to Ellie oh to respond God. to what you've said, and then we're going to go back to you to finish your okay. point. Go ahead, Ellie. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm amazed at what he just said about he had such a great education in a white school, but the black schools, well, apparently they can't learn. Perhaps, okay. I didn't say can't learn. I didn't say that. No, you didn't. I apologize, but you made it very clear that there is a difference, and you're right, there is, and that's part of racism. When our schools in our our African-American communities are getting less funding and less less benefits and less services than the, quote, white schools, that is racism. When there is unequal job opportunities, that is racism. When there are targets being made against African-American men by white police officers, that is racism. It is unfortunate. It is a horror, and it is still going on in this country. There are pockets, there are areas where things have improved, absolutely. But unfortunately, there is racism in this country, and it needs to be faced, and it needs to be dealt with in an honest and caring and loving manner, and that is not what's being done in this country right now. Rod McCullough has a comment as well. Rod? It actually sounds like these two agree that there is institutional racism, but Larry makes a point, and that is that uh, in these these cities, big cities, all of them, um, the, the, the education system is run by Democrats. The housing is run by Democrats. So if a school in Chicago is not getting the same amount, uh, if a black school in Chicago is not getting the same amount of funding uh, as the one in a white neighborhood, you're not going to, I'm sorry, you're not going to get away with blaming Donald Trump for that. It's the Democratic mayor. It's the Democratic mayor for the last 50 years. I'm blaming Betsy DeVos. (laughs) You're not going to get away with that either. I'll I'll make one point on that. Go ahead, uh, Larry. I'm I, I, I was a consultant uh, as a client. I was a consultant to the Chicago Board of Education and the Detroit Board of Education, so I know a little about those schools. And the fact of the matter is, when you're talking about the city of Chicago, where I went to school and where the black children go to school, it is the same school system with the same amount of money, the same system. So you can't say the differential. Differential may occur in other districts. But when you look at these city districts, and you look at New York, New York is more, you know, is less integrated today than it was in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing is, uh, the institutional racism in the major cities where there are democratic machines, longstanding, is, is just so overwhelming. But that's not the people. That's not across the country. That's the institutional racism. Do you agree? Oh, so it's the qu- Democrats who are racist, is what you're Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I don't recall that it was... It, you know what? I'm not even... Uh, I really don't know where to begin on this. Let's talk about Kentucky, which has a, a, a Republican governor, and they are 49th in the country in education. Let's talk about some of the other states like that, that have Republican governors, and they are at the bottom of the list. California is at, the, is at one of the states at the top of the list, and we have a Democrat for a governor. I, I, I'm, well, you're, you're not talking racism, then, because Kentucky— I am talking I, you know, racism. If, if, I'm talking no, racism. Because the Kentucky, schools, uh, the Kentucky schools are across the board of a lower quality than other schools in other states. It's not black Why? and white. It's, it's across the board in the school system. 
So you, you know you're, you're you're really okay. talking about a state level that applies across the state. Let me ask as you opposed this. to let picking ask, out where let, you know. Ellie, let me ask you this question: If if a young child goes to a their local school and they live in their local neighborhood, and uh, testing comes along, and they don't do well, or there's crime in the neighborhood, or there is a lack of a parent in the home, and your local congressman happens to be a Democrat, and may have been a Democrat for 40 or 50 years, and that neighborhood has seen no, no significant improvement in the quality of life, who gets blamed for that? Is any is any part of that a, a systemic racism that exists because of the political climate that, frankly, does not want or cannot clean up respective neighborhoods so that there is less crime and more kids are going to quality schools? Who's responsible for that? Who is responsible for it are the, are the people of the community who go to their congressman and say, we need help. And the congressman goes to Congress and says, my state, my city, my area, my congressional district needs help. And you and have what if a they don't Senate get it? that won't even what, bring this sort of if, thing to the what floor. What if they don't? You, you want to talk specifically, and I understand, and I think it is relevant to talk of where we are right now. But from a contemporary standpoint, if that's been the, the, the fact of life, for 40 or 50 years, where Democrat members of Congress coming from Democrat cities go to the go to Washington to try to get help for their districts. Sometimes there's a Republican president. Sometimes there's a Democratic president. For the most part, how long has Mitch McConnell been on the Senate? Has been a part of the Senate. It doesn't have it. When the man won't even bring things Charles, to the floor, Charles how can Schumer, you vote and get long, things that you how need? How long? How long? Has Chuck Schumer been a United States senator? Because if, Quite a if while. Gonna... I agree with you, but he hasn't been the person in charge for the last eight years that could bring something to the floor of the Senate. And what about the times when the Democrats were in control of Congress and they were in control of the And there were strength... some improvements that were actually being made, what if you were, look at what, history. What, what oh. were the improvements? I just want to know, what were the improvements? Well, I can tell you in our area... I'll give you my area, okay, and I'll give you my congressman and what my congressman, who is a Democrat, has done. That's all you know. We have certain – excuse me? I say it's your local person, so you know that that history better than I do or anybody else. I do. Yes, sir. Okay. We have areas in our communities where the children had no access to Wi-Fi. Because the areas, they, they, have, they literally have had no access to Wi-Fi. Now we have a year where we have a lockdown and the kids have to learn by, um, by remote, well, by, by remote, learning. Um, remote learning, okay? What our congressman did was go to Congress and say, my people, our area, my students need to have Wi-Fi. He still was having trouble getting it. So what he did was he made a deal and he got a little bit of money for it. And then he came back and he went to the state of California. Bottom line, and I know this for a fact, those areas, they literally set up buses in the communities, on the streets, so those kids would have Wi-Fi. And then they arranged for each one of them to get a pad, an iPad. So it can be done, and it is being done more than, than is being admitted 
by many people in this country, and that is the saddest part about it. Is that is that is that an issue that is a bipartisan issue? I mean, when your congressman absolutely, uh, okay, he considered well. he's a Democrat. Right. And he's a strong Democrat, but he considered it a bipartisan issue. Right. And he was able to yeah. get what he needed. Larry Horace. Well, is that a predominantly white or black district, or what's what's the and what's Actually, the schools? Was, are they predominantly native, white or? No, sir. It was predominantly black and Native American. Okay. And it was predominantly Native American poor. Yes, the schools. Yeah. Part white, part African American, okay. predominantly Native American. Okay. Predominantly Native yeah. American. But it also includes Palm Springs, which is an upscale. Actually, it didn't, area. sir. Oh, that okay, no, that was not Palm. It was not Palm Springs that was included in this process. Okay. When I'm talking about remote areas, I'm talking about areas oh. in Mecca, and in um, uh, Coachella, and in okay. Indio, and some of those areas are very poor. And he's been able to get funding, and he's been so able your, to get education. So your point is that if you have a congressman who's making a strong case to other members of Congress, Republicans and Democrats can come together and come up with Absolutely. a program that makes sense. I think everybody would Absolutely. like it. How do we do more yeah. of that? That's my question. we got a break right well, now. Well, that's a good question, when we come back, That's a very good we're question. We're going to start with Larry when we come back. How do we, how do we make the experience that uh, L.A. just talked about how do we make that more widespread, where everybody jumps on board and gets behind a good idea? I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Beyond the Beltway. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. 
Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. back. Let's go to a call. Roger from Austin, Texas. Calls. Just go ahead, Roger. I'm here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Speak up. Yeah, okay. Hello? You are on the air, Roger. So far, you've got to pick up and go ahead with your question. Okay. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to chime in. Uh, The young lady on the on your show is very misguided and very partisan. The governor of Kentucky is not a Republican. He's a Democrat. And the California schools are fairly mediocre. They're not leading in any way, shape, or form. And the funding for the majority of funding comes locally for our school systems. It's not coming from the state or the federal government. She needs to understand those things. The other thing that maybe she doesn't understand is that when you look at performance in any school district or any school specifically, generally we're having issues with minority students passing and achieving reading levels and math levels at their grades. And in the same school, when you have a student with the same curriculum, same teacher, same funding, and same school that are getting it and passing, When others are not, you need to look at other things beyond the school that are doing. Stay stay on the line, Roger. L.E.K., respond to what Roger just had to say. Well, first of all, Roger, thank you for calling me a young lady. I've been a Democrat for over (laughs) 70 years. Well, I'm 74, so for about about 50 years or so. Um, Anyway, uh, the legislature, however, in Kentucky, you're right, the governor is a uh, Democrat, but the legislature is Republican. When we're talking about education, by the way, my my brother was a teacher for many, many, many years. My niece has been a teacher and they're aware of what happens with with children who have unfortunately parents that both sets of parents that have to work that there there isn't the time frame i'll give you a very quick example of what i'm talking about my two grand nephews 9 and 7 are both 
they love to read. They read constantly. They're very good in math. They're very good in sports. They have two parents, however, who care enough and have the time. I repeat that. They have the time to spend with their children, to spend time with, with reading and math and science and taking them to baseball tournaments, etc., etc. They have the time. They have the financial wherewithal to do it. Now, you look at some children, you look at other children, however, predominantly, unfortunately, in our African-American and brown communities, and the parents sometimes are working two, three, four jobs. They don't have that kind of time. So, of course, the but child goes to parents, school. Ma'am, in most cases, the single parenting is the big problem. Yes, sir, it time. is sometimes single parenting. Parent has got to earn two incomes and, for the child. Yeah, and, the, and let's and, punish and, that mother. Okay. Let's punish that father. This is what we're talking about. Ellie, Ellie, is Ellie, Ellie, Ellie this is Bruce. This is Bruce. I want to take a breath now, and I want to ask you a follow-up question, which I think Roger may agree with, and that is, how come when Democrats or liberals are talking about the problems in the country or the problems in education while why don't they take a moment to acknowledge what Roger just said I certainly do acknowledge what he just said but 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 historically they will point fingers at someone else other than to acknowledge yeah you've got an ex-president that's pointing at everybody in the country saying he won an election we're not not talking about you're deflecting ma'am the question i'm saying the question (laughs) i'm saying is just we should acknowledge you know what some parents are not doing a good job some of them are black some of them are white they send their kids to school Let's just say that and acknowledge it. Go ahead. Yes, you're 100% right. There are some parents who should not be parents. Good. Totally agree with you. Never should have had a child. I think we agree on that. Larry (laughs) Horst and then we're going to go back to That's a minority of parents. Most parents are pretty good parents. And I'm going to come to the defense of the black community on this one. I don't agree with that. Because I really, I don't like the idea of blaming black parents or black kids for some innate reason they can't learn or aren't learning or don't have the advantage. I worked very closely with Marva Collins at the West Side Prep. Remember they made a movie about her with Cecily? Yeah. And she showed that you could take kids from the inner city and you could educate them. Father Clements at Holy Name proved that you could take them and educate them. And they, they came from the same, quote, bad parents, bad neighborhood, bad backgrounds, the whole thing. So I, I see it as a failure it? of the education. How did they do they it? Did it? They spent How did time. They, do it? they spent money. They spent time. They had teachers who Are cared. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Marva Collins, was they tr- the city tried to shut her down. They tried to the city, the Democrats. They tried to shut her down. I'm trying to understand something, Bruce. I did not know I was going to be the only Democrat and that I was going to have to answer for every Democrat in the United States on this program tonight. You don't have to answer for every Democrat, ma'am. So you got two. Go ahead. Go ahead. Thank you. When you don't have two parents, you have less mentoring, you have less funds to, 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 to fuel that child's education. And when you look at the out-of-wedlock birthing problem in the African-American community, it extrapolates directly into those resources that makes these students successful. Certainly you can have a program that's very exceptional that tries to, to make up for those 
failures. But at the end of the day, it's a cultural issue. We're blaming our school systems and our teachers who are having to be not no, only No, I'm not blaming. No, that's not true, and sir. Mentors. Well, no. No, we sir, do. that's not true. We, we, we lo- lo- well, you were just on here just saying that it, sure. oh, they weren't getting enough funding. It's the schools aren't doing their job. It's not the school's fault in many cases. There's a complex mix here to make this thing right. work. And the fundamental. That's why we need Planned Parenthood. Two parents. Two parents. That's why we need Planned Parenthood. The household. Well, you know, well, that's it's not, it sounds that's like it's really a woman just, because uh, he uh, left. Are you, are you saying that we need Planned Parenthood to abort all those black babies? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, sir. I'm Eugenics. saying we need birth control. My God, I can't believe you just said that to me. Well, well, what were you saying? Why did you bring up Planned Parenthood? Because you can get birth control. You can get birth control, and men could get that. All right, all right. I I will stand corrected. You just think black people shouldn't have babies. No. Oh, my God. Pretty much. I'm sorry. Why did you bring it up? This is insulting. You were just talking about single parents, and my comment was that the answer to single parents partly would would be birth control through Planned Parenthood. And, and, and you just accused me of tra- – I'm sorry. You know what? This is, this is really getting personal, Ellie, Ellie, go and ahead. it's getting very nasty, Bruce, and I just don't think that I need to Ellie, be a part of this. Ellie, 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 no, sir, I'm Ellie. sorry. Stand by. Stand that was by. personal, and that was wrong. All right, but let, let me just – Larry. I didn't bring up Planned Parenthood. I brought it up because they provide birth control, they provide, they provide uh, care, they provide different areas where we don't need an abortion. Yeah. You, can, you can get the help and you can get the, okay. the guidance that you need. My God, I yeah, don't believe They're the number that. one provider is, of abortions. Number one. Planned no, out. they're not, actually. In the black neighborhoods. In the black neighborhoods. They have most of their clinics in black neighborhoods. Okay, and it was, and historically, it was started by a woman who wanted, who was a, uh, you know, Margaret Sanger, who was uh, almost into genocide. All right, we're we're getting, we're getting, I I really don't see the point in continuing this. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting. Yeah, I've been, I'm being attacked, and I, and I don't appreciate it. Ellie, Ellie, I'm absolutely being attacked. Let me, let me just say this. You're looking for an excuse to bail out, Ellie. Roger. No, sir, I'm not going to bail. Roger. Oh, no, I'm not going to bail. Oh, Roger, Roger, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Thank Larry, you, Larry. Thank, appreciate thank the time. you very much. Let me just say that I don't like anybody ever to get badgered on this program, regardless of what your, your background or your political persuasion is. I, that's not what we do on Beyond the Beltway. But again, for the record, you were the person that brought up the subject of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood is a, to many people in the country, that is a, that's, that's a very controversial organization. It may not be to you, but it is to many. And again, you brought up, you, you, you changed I brought subject. it up because he kept throwing out single mothers, single parents, and I was simply stating a fact that if people, if, if Planned Parenthood was available to people, they would be able to get what they need, as in birth control, as in guidance with going through having ch- children. By the way, since Planned Parenthood, abortions are at their lowest peak in the country, in history. 
But that's never brought up. It's always Planned Parenthood and abortion. It's not about abortion. It's about the woman that gets a mammogram free of charge because she can't afford the insurance. But 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 in this case, you were talking about not having children. I'll I'll take off the abortion. I'll just say you wanted to prevent a number of people to not have children by going to Planned Parenthood. No, I'm saying that they would have a choice. They would have a choice. It's an issue of choice. Okay. Okay. Not all everyone who's a single parent wanted to be a single parent. When we come, when we when we come back, actually, I'm going to let you, Rod. You want to this is a subject you want to talk about? You want to talk about the issue of choice as it relates to where children go to school? Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think we've gone a little far afield here. Uh, so I actually, I actually thought Bruce was going to ask this question earlier when he described some of the horrific. Uh, elements in a neighborhood, poverty, the schools are bad, crime, and they've been represented forever by Democrats of all types. So one solution might be, and Ellie, I, I hope you agree with this, is to allow the parents the choice to remove their kid from that situation and go to a better school. I will let you think about the answer because we're going to a break. When we come back, L.A.K., you'll have the floor. We'll also hear from Larry Horst as well as people on the line at 1-800-723-8029. From AM560 WYND in Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont, and this is Beyond the Beltway. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark, and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you... Your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. 
When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. This is the final segment of Beyond the Beltway this evening. I want to thank uh, Keith Conrad and Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of tonight's program. Always good to be working with you guys. Uh, we have another caller on the line calling from uh, Spokane, Washington. Dave, you are on Beyond the Beltway. Go ahead. Hello. Hello? Yes, Dave, go ahead. Oh, hey, I apologize that I didn't hear anything you were talking about for the last five minutes. I was on hold, but um, my uh, my comment was that I think in the country that one of the problems we have is that we become actually too tolerant in many ways, uh, and you too tolerant to the point where people aren't learning the difference between you know something that is is a right and a privilege. You know, we're, we're arguing over does everyone have equal opportunity or should you have equal outcomes? We're not. We've lost the idea that hard work and sometimes you know a good a good result in the end comes from going through a lot of difficulty and when you were talking about single mothers my mother was a single uh, parent and she went through tough times in the 60s and somehow she still was able to by as a single parent become an RN uh, she was able to raise me uh, and and things worked out okay uh, but nowadays we're sending we send more and more money the more kids you have and children are learning you have young you have kids in their teens and early 20s having multiple kids sometimes with multiple fathers still being a single parent and the way we that we you know teach them to not want to do that is by glamorizing it on TV and you have television shows about single parents and how they have their kids and now isn't that cute and instead of teaching more of a wow that's a terrible thing to have done and you get it you get more of what you encourage and when you encourage more births by by glamorizing it you're going to get more of it or you know at the border when you encourage people to come across because you know when they come across they're not deported you you can say one thing that oh we're we're hard on something but it's it's what you do it's actions mean more than than what your words are so the country is just going so crazy i i can't even imagine uh what the future holds and i like to always ask democrats hey were you happy with the democrats under john f kennedy or were you happy with the Gem- democrats now because you can't have it both ways the democrat party has completely flip-flopped from how they were under the John F. K. Democrats to now, uh, in what they think right, is right and wrong, and let's let ridiculous. let's let Ellie K. respond because uh, she was a young girl during the Kennedy administration, uh, but uh, certainly uh, you, you you've been through a lot of Democratic presidencies. Uh, your answer? Yes, to I the have, district. and I've also been through a lot of re- of uh, Republican presidencies, yes, right, uh-huh. and I can tell you that there's a, a a strong consensus that the Republican Party today is not what the Republican Party was under Ronald Reagan, and are certainly under not under uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yes, I agree. Certainly not under Richard Nixon. Um, so I, I I I find that kind of interesting to to try to make that comparison. And certainly, um, and certainly not under President Bob Dole or President. John McCain, or President <laughs> I'm Mitt sorry? Romney, and certainly not under Presidents Mitt Romney, John McCain, or Bob Dole. 
What is your point? My point is they were Republicans. They had a perspective that you probably you probably agreed with or acknowledged. Actually, I was very yes. As okay. a matter of fact, you're right. I but admired John McCain. They all lost. They, they all no, lost. No, John McCain the died. They lo- John. He McCain, had been reelected. John McCain lost when he was running for president of the United States. A president? Yeah, I wasn't yes. talking. Okay, fine. You know. Okay, okay. fine. Okay. Go ahead. Fine. You're making a point. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Larry War. Larry Hort. Bruce. Bruce. I, I think I'd like to pick up on uh, the school choice, which I'm a great fan of because I work with these school systems. And it's really, I always consider what we do to the kids in the inner city among the most immoral things we do in our culture. We destroy their lives, and maybe not literally, but we destroy their potential. We don't get them educated. We leave them running the streets. And the fact of the matter is, if we would just dedicate some of the money and allow the parents to pick and choose where they want to go, we would have a much better outcome. And I know that because the unions are so against it, and I know why. And you get the wisdom from a waitress in Detroit. When I asked her, I said, what would happen to your school? It was an inner city black school. I said, what would happen to your school if you were to have $5,000 you could direct to a private or a parochial school? She said the school would be emptied almost immediately. The parents would seize the opportunity. So we warehouse these kids. We imprison these kids, also in very dangerous schools. You know, there's, there's gangs, there's drugs. Uh, you look at the incident reports from the 1960s, and it's spitballs. You look at them today, it's knifings and rapes. If you look at, you know, I had uh, Secretary uh, Bennett of Education coming into Chicago, and this was after he was out of office. I called the secretary of the board. I said, listen, we want to go to this high school I wanted him to see, which was one of the bad ones. And he said, oh, no, no, no. We could not guarantee his safety in that building. Can you imagine not protecting? You couldn't guarantee the safety of the former secretary of education, and you put in, you know, six, eight, nine hundred kids in that building every day? And that doesn't even cover the... <laughs> plaster falling off the ledge, the pipes, the toilets not working, and all the other problems of those inner city schools. And it's funny. I want to the go other back. schools in the same system don't have that problem. I want to go back to Ellie because one, uh, one issue that's very big out in California, and that is the recall of Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, where is that uh, recall going at the moment in your view, Ellie? Um, <laughs> thank you, Bruce. Uh, where it's going is it is going to happen. It is going to cost the taxpayers of California uh, over $250 million. And I might add that the governor is up for re-election next year, which is why so many of us are so furious that this is going to take place. Um, the governor is very popular, actually, and so um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. The ballots, uh, they've moved everything up. The ballots are going to go out beginning on the 16th. We do have voter, uh, we do have uh, mail-in ballots in our mm-hmm. state, and uh, the ballots are going to go out August, August 16th. The election is September 14th, and... Um, we expect our governor to uh, to maintain the governorship. But there are two elections, right? There are two elections for Republicans? No, there's Republic? one election, there's one ballot, but two questions on the ballot. Okay, As, tell us what the happens. The first question will ask, should the governor be recalled? The yes. second question will ask, 
which he cannot appear on that second ballot. Yes. If he gets 51% on the first question, then the second question is moot. Okay. Uh, right now, there are 38 Republicans running. Wow, okay. Including Ellie, Caitlyn Jenner. Ellie, on that moment, uh, we've got to say farewell to you. Thank you very much for joining us from Palm Springs, thank California. You, thank you, Bruce, very much. And everybody, please get vaccinated. It's thank you. Bruce, appreciate the time. Of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and